Please be seated. And good morning. This past weekend, I took my dog on a walk, and I saw the telltale signs of spring. These were subtle things in the earth. They were barely distinguishable, but they were there. Rising temperatures, trees budding, and then these stubby little green tulip sprouts shooting up through the ground. And it got me really excited. It got me, someone who struggles with seasonal depression from time to time, especially on days like this, it got me excited for warm things. Hot days, sunshine, baseball, and summer camp. If you know me, then you know that my vocation as an Episcopal priest, as many priests in this diocese, was formed at summer camp. And I'm talking about Camp Henry, our diocesan church camp. It's located about 45 minutes west of here in a beautiful place called Lake Logan. And if you've never been there, I urge you to get in your car one beautiful day and drive over there. Take a picnic. It is a beautiful place. It is a place to dream of on wet winter days. It is a place where young people are confronted for the very first time with the radiant face of God's unconditional love. It is a place where God is present in everything. It's present in the voices of children singing, in the beauty of the lake, in the fireflies that dot the tree line, in the steam that rises off of the water in the early morning. Growing up, my weeks at Camp Henry were magical. I could be myself. I could let my guard down. I could ask hard questions about God, and I could hear how other young people were, were looking at and discovering God. And I could see and hear the face of God so clearly in a space that wasn't cluttered with distractions or prerequisites or expectations. There wasn't anything hard about going to Camp Henry. The only hard part was coming home. Now, if you've ever picked up your child at Camp Henry or know someone who has, or I imagine anyone who's gone to a summer camp where there's this kind of transformational experience, then you know that there are lots and lots of tears at pickup. There are smiles and snotty hugs. Uh, it is hard. It's hard to leave, coming back home, leaving the bubble. Oftentimes, youth who attend to Camp Henry, who for one week actually get to embody these radical concepts of grace and unconditional love, they come back to a world who hasn't yet caught on to those concepts. And it's shocking. It's painful entering back into the real world. I remember as a seventh grader, eighth grader, ninth grader, not wanting to leave I had seen the face of God in that place, in the people there, in the beauty of the nature there. I wanted to hold on to it for as long as I could, but I had to go home. All of this just goes to show that the mountaintop, the thin places in our lives, the places where the distance between our realm and God's realm collapses on itself, the thin places where God's presence is so thick that we can reach out and touch it are places that we can never remain there for very long. 
Sometimes we are granted a few minutes in the presence of the divine, or in the case of Camp Henry, we are given a week, but we always have to move on. We cannot stay on the mountaintop forever. If there's anyone who understands that human and futile desire to live in the thin moments of God's presence, to stay there, to make a dwelling on the mountaintop, it's the disciple Peter in today's gospel. This morning we find Peter and John and James on the mountaintop. They are weighed down with weariness and tiredness, yet despite their wearied eyes, they see it all. They see it an event which our feeble and mortal words can hardly describe. They see the glory that is Jesus' transfiguration on the mountaintop. There is blinding light. Jesus' face is changed. His robes are dazzling. And the disciples, they witness this meeting with Moses and Elijah and Jesus on the mountaintop. They see it. They see this revelation with their own eyes an encounter with the divine. This is rare. And Peter, who is so caught up in this moment, whose face, I imagine, is shining like Moses coming down from the mountain today, Peter doesn't want to leave. He doesn't want this moment to end. He wants to bottle it up, capture it, keep it here forever. If we can make a dwelling place for each of them, Peter thinks, perhaps we can make this moment last forever. Well, we could dwell up here on the mountaintop forever. We would never have to leave. What's stopping us? Before the words leave his mouth, the spirit in the shape of a terrifying cloud interrupts that fantasy of escapism. And before you know it, the disciples are heading back down the mountain. I understand the desire to want to stay there. I understand that. Like our youth at Camp Henry, I want to make those moments, those chance encounters with the divine last forever. But what I do not understand is how the disciples left the mountaintop that day and what they did immediately afterwards. Look at it with me. And they kept silent, the gospel reads, and in those days told no one of any of the things that they had seen. Imagine seeing God and keeping it to yourself. Imagine a Christ transfigured in brilliant, dazzling white and suppressing that information. Imagine hearing the booming voice of God that declares, yes, this man is the Messiah, the chosen one, and then never saying a word. What would people think? Who would believe me if I told them? Did I really see what I think I saw on that mountain? The silence that we carry out of these experiences can sometimes lead to shame, and the shame that we bear leads to doubt. And for the disciples, sadly, the transfiguration might as well not have happened at all because they chose to do nothing with it. Thankfully, we are not the disciples. And we have the benefit of looking back at this divine encounter 2,000 years ago and knowing that, yes, Jesus is the Messiah. Yes, this movement actually is what we think it is. We know where the story is going. But despite the benefit of hindsight, 
I have to ask a sobering question. Are we just as culpable as those silent disciples who walked down the mountainside all those years ago after witnessing the transfiguration on the mountaintop? Are we just as guilty as Peter and James and John who saw Elijah and Moses and Jesus, who saw the brilliant light, who heard the booming voice and said nothing? All souls, Episcopal Church, all branches of the Jesus movement, I think we are guilty. I think we are guilty of staying silent. And do you know how I know? Turn on the news. Walk down the streets of Asheville. The drums of war are beating again in Europe. The dramatic increase in the amount of homelessness on our streets, the rising rent prices. You can insert any modern day structure of sin into this equation and it becomes very clear that some of us, perhaps most of us, are not talking about the mountaintop. Cycles of violence and sin continue to flourish and multiply in this world because of our reluctance, the, the reluctance of God's disciples to talk about the mountaintop. Festering wounds allowed to sour and proliferate over decades are passed down to younger generations who then take their own trauma and pass it on and on and on. The pain that is inflicted on us, the pain that we inflict on others, it has to go somewhere. But when confronted with views on the mountaintop or when we are confronted by those who have seen the brilliant shining face of God, might our pain dissolve? Might there be healing in that? In the presence of a divine encounter, would we continue the cycles of violence we have learned from each other? Or would we break those cycles? Might we be led in light of those mountaintop encounters to beat our swords into plowshares, to walk down to the riverside hand in hand and talk of war no more? I want to talk about what we see on the mountaintop. Because what would happen if we did? How could war break out? How could family turn against family if they had seen the face of God in one another? How could someone be put on the street after encounter with the blinding, bedazzled face of Christ in their neighbor? How could we gentrify a black neighborhood or raise our rents 200% in a year or promote the purchase of an assault rifle after hearing the booming voice of God? I do not think any of those things would be happening if we talked about what we see on the mountaintop. I don't think any of those things would be happening if we brought those mountaintop experiences down with us and lived lives of extraordinary love and mercy and compassion, especially towards those who are struggling, especially towards those who we might even call our enemy. If we are lucky and if we are patient and if we are watching, sometimes we are given rare moments of God's presence. For some of us, it happens over a campfire with s'mores and smiling faces reflecting the glow of a warm fire. For some of us, revelation happens in music and voices blending together. 
for some of us, God is revealed in an undeserved, unplanned act of grace. Where have you encountered the presence of the divine lately? When was the last time that you were on the mountaintop? These moments, they are incredible gifts and experiences never to be taken for granted. But more importantly, these are gifts and experiences that we should never suppress. We should never keep them quiet. We should never keep them to ourselves. We cannot dwell on the mountaintop. No, we must go back down. And we mustn't keep silent. For at the bottom of the mountain, in that real world with all of its clutter and expectations and distractions, there is a world where brother continues to fight against brother, whose blood cries out to us from the ground, where cycles of violence and systems of oppression which have been churning for years and years, generation upon generation, stand to finally be transformed, to be transfigured in God's glory. Siblings in Christ, now is not the time for silence.